Good morning. It's great to see each and every one of you. It honestly is. And I am so pumped, so delighted, and so honored that you're here today. And today we're going to start a four-part Christmas series that's going to happen on these four Sundays as we're now in December. We want to talk for four Sundays about Christmas miracles. And so we're going to camp on that theme and build on that theme today. So I was thinking about Christmas miracles, and sometimes miracles are big, sometimes they're small, sometimes they're this way, sometimes they're that way. And I had a really neat Christmas miracle happen to me this Friday. How many people want to hear about it? Do you want to hear about it? Can I tell you about what happened? And you all know that I wear glasses. Look at me. I wear glasses. I've worn them since I was in grade 7, and I'm now at the stage where I need those progressive lenses. Anybody at the progressive lens stage? You can't see far. You can't see close. And you need them. And my, my grandfather, he went blind. And my mom battles glaucoma. She's on drops. And so I've got to go to the optometrist regularly, get checked. And so I went on Friday. And he's checking my eyes. And here's the first cool thing. I met him a number of years ago. And he was in the Woodville daycare way back in the 1970s. And so we're reminiscing about his, his, he's like three years of age. He said, Mark, I don't have a lot of memories, but I kind of remember being there. I said, dude, you need to come by and just walk through the building again. So that's, come on, that's a neat bridge. And I thought that was a neat connection. Obviously, I invite him for Christmas Eve, of course. And then so he's checking my eyes and he's doing the pressure. And he says, you know what? This is the first miracle. He said, I'm not worried about you with glaucoma. You're not going to, just relax. Everything's good. He said, but I need to tell you something. And he gave a long pause. He said, this is really rare. This doesn't happen to many people. And I thought, this is where the ball drops. And this is where he's going to tell me I got this disease in my eyes. And he said to me, your eyes are getting better. <laughs> Come on, you got to laugh at that. He said, it's a small percentage. So I'm not ready to throw away my glasses yet. But he telling me my eyes are getting a little bit better. So I thought that was pretty cool. That made my day. I give God thanks. That's a little miracle, but it's a big miracle. And I just give God glory. I give him honor for that. That's pretty neat. Well, I want you to pull out your sermon notes. They are on the back of your bulletin, or you can pull it up in your handheld device. I want to take you back, kind of a pre-Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about two people in the Bible. They were married, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're going to talk about Zech and Beth this morning. And we're going to learn some amazing truths about them. Now, their names are pregnated with meaning. They really are. God, in his providence, allowed for them to receive these cool names. And the name, the name Zechariah simply means the Lord remembers. I think that is so cool. The Lord remembers. And the name Elizabeth means our God is faithful. Isn't that cool? And we're about to see this morning how the Lord remembered. God never forgets. He always remembers. And how the Lord is faithful. And so we're going to look at some verses in Luke chapter 1. And I want to give you today uh, six practical truths on receiving your miracle. Whatever it is, whatever miracle you need at this Christmas time, we're going we're gonna to build on six practical truths from Luke chapter 1. So here's the big idea. I want you to write this in your notes. I want this one thought to resonate in your spirit. While you're waiting for something new, God is working on you. And whatever you're waiting for, just be reminded, God is working on you. He's doing something in behind the scenes. He's building faith. He's building character. While you are waiting for something new, 
God is working on you. So let's get right to the six practical truths. Number one, I want us to pause, number one, and describe your need. Just, just get right down to what, is, uh, what am I believing God for? What is the mountain that is before me that God has assigned to me that he wants to move out of our life? What are you facing today? Describe your need. So let's walk through verse 5 down to verse 7. Look at the screen. In verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, Herod was the king, there's this priest named Zechariah, the Lord remembers. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And there's like a whole bunch of priestly divisions, and he's the eighth division. And uh, I'm told that there's like 18,000 priests in Judea in those days, and there's 24 different, uh, 24 different divisions, and he is in the eighth division, and he belongs to the priestly division of Abijah. He's a PK. He's a priest kid. And his wife's name is Elizabeth, and she's also a descendant of Aaron. Her name means the Lord is the faithful one. And they're married. They're godly people. Now pick it up in verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. They were living a good life, a godly life. They were walking and serving God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Let me put it in, in 2019 terms. They're faithful to church. They're tithers. They're, they're, they're reading their Bible. They're praying every day. They're serving in their local church. They're, they're going all out, putting God first in their life. Now, how many people know, even when you do all right, bad things still happen to good people, right? And you still walk through some challenges. Let's pick it up in verse 7. Here is their need. Here is their mountain. But they were childless. Childless, they could not conceive. They could not have a child. And in that culture and in that day, they often viewed it as a disgrace. And it was not viewed as great. Sometimes they even thought it was the judgment of God when you could not bear a child. Now, watch this. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, that's very specific. I mean, St. Elizabeth is unable to conceive. And I think there's something that Luke is saying here, that she's unable to bear a child. They're childless. And to top it off... They are both very old. I mean, they cannot conceive biologically, and their biological clock has been ticking, and it's now 12 o'clock, and they're older, and they're beyond those years of bearing a child. You know, it's kind of like they're in their 60s, and they're like, it's over, it's done, it's finished, we can't conceive and our biological clock has gone off. It's over. It's not going to happen. Can I ask you a question today? Have you been praying for something that you now have concluded it's over, it's done, it's finished, and it's never going to change? Zechariah and Elizabeth can understand that. Describe your need. Let me take you to number two. I want to talk to you for a few moments. Pray for God's intervention. I want to talk to you about your prayer life. I want to talk to you about praying for God's supernatural intervention. I want to walk you through verse 8 down to verse 22. These are cool verses. So let's get right to it. We're going to talk now about praying for God's intervention. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God. Let's push pause. Here he is of the priestly lineage of Abijah. He's in the 8th division and it's now his turn to go to Jerusalem and serve four times a year 
a division of priests would go to Jerusalem and serve four times a year. It's, it's, it's his, his time to go. He's on duty. And he's serving as a priest for God. Look at verse 9. He's chosen by lot. Now, I could camp on the lot thing. They're this, this, this different shape kind of dice. And, and it was God's way of saying yes or no or leading them. And they were going to decide by a lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, who's going to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And his lot came up. Now, you need to understand, a priest could only once in their lifetime go into the Holy of Holies and burn the incense on behalf of the people once. Here he is in Jerusalem. His priestly division is there. And they roll the lot, and it comes to him. And he gets to be the guy that day to go into the Holy of Holies and burn the incense. Now, burn the incense would happen at the golden altar. And they would burn the incense, and a sweet aroma would go up. And everybody in the outside of the Holy of Holies in the outer court would look in, and they would look up, and they would see that the smoke rising, and they would smell the incense. And the incense represented the prayers that the priest was praying for all of the people. And so here it is, his lot comes up, he's now in the temple, he's now in the Holy of Holies, and he gets to burn the incense. Let's go to verse 10. When the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside because it's his lot. He's now in the Holy of Holies. All the other priests are outside praying. He's in the Holy of Holies. Look at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and the right is significant because the right side is the side of honor. And so he's just doing his thing. He's in the Holy of Holies. He's burning the incense. He's like, this is so cool. And suddenly an angel appears on the side of honor of the golden altar. Look at verse 12. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. Of course he was startled. He didn't expect an angel to show up. And he's gripped with fear. You read in the New Testament, angels show up. They all get fearful. They're not expecting it. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. So let me push pause. Let me illustrate this. He would burn the incense. The aroma would go up. And he would literally be kneeling down at this point, And he'd have his hands lifted symbolically like he's praying. And so here he is. He's on the one side of the golden altar. And his hands are lifted. And he's symbolically bringing the prayer burdens of all the people to God. And an angel shows up on the right side. But notice what Luke says. When the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, I underlined it. Your prayer, your prayer, your prayer has been heard. I started to study that in the original Greek, and I saw something. It actually means your prayer has been heard and is now being heard. Write that down. It has been heard, and it's now being heard. Your, your prayer. And as I began to study it in the original Greek, I began to understand that there's two layers to it. One, your corporate prayer of intercession for the Israelites, for your people, God has heard. But there's a deeper layer, your personal prayer, Zechariah, has been heard. In church, why I say this is because Zechariah is an old man, and his wife is an elderly lady. And they, they could not conceive. And the biological clock, it's over. And God is saying, 
I've been hearing your prayer. Now, here's what I want you to know. Zechariah did not give up on praying for his miracle. And I've got to ask you a question. What have you stopped praying for that you need to start praying for again? Did you get that this morning? What have you stopped praying for that you need to start praying for again? And just so you know, this is a specific answer. Look, look, at, look at the screen, verse 13. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your, 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 your prayer, your personal prayer has been heard and is being heard. And he gets real specific. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you're to call him John. Now look at verse 14. He will be a joy, delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. Look at verse 15. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. Priests were set apart to not touch wine, not touch fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Man, let that sink in. Look at verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. I'm sure at this point, Zechariah's like, oh my goodness, there's a powerful call on this boy. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord God. Verse 17, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of that Old Testament prophet Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Everybody say, wow. One, two, three. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Can you imagine you're on your knees, you're the priest, your hands are up, angel shows up and says this to you. Look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, I, I, I have to smile as I read this, how can I be sure of this? I want to go, come on, Zechariah. An angel just showed up and told you this. How can I be sure of this? Now push pause. He'd been praying. And he kept on praying, and he's up in years. And, but, but, but note this, I asked you, what have you stopped praying for that you need to start praying for? Can I ask you another question? What are you praying for that you don't really believe God is going to change? Sometimes you pray, but you don't really believe it's going to change. You're going through the motions of prayer without the level of faith that God can bring the change. I think that's what was going on with Zechariah. Like, come on. If an angel showed up right now and stood on the platform and told us something, I hope we'd go, oh my goodness, God is saying something to us today. But Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. I love the fact he's smart enough not to call his wife old. My wife is well along in years. Wasn't he dignified? Look at verse 19. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now look at verse 20. Because I think there's a cool thing that I want to present to you today. Have you ever wondered why, why the angel said these words? Now you will be silent and not able to speak. I, I've got my theory. I can't prove it. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God if I'm right on this. I, I, think, I think God was saying, I'm going to close your mouth because what you're saying is a revelation of what's in your heart. And I think God was saying, I don't like what you're saying. So I'm going to, until you learn what you need to say, I'm going to get you to close your mouth. There's power in your words. And sometimes we are always voicing doubt. 
Sometimes we're always giving God an escape. God, do this miracle, but it's okay if you don't. God, I know you can. I know you might. I know you just, but, but we, we speak doubt. There's power in our words. So here is Zechariah. He gets this glorious, great encounter. How can I be sure of this? And so the angel says, you know what? You're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until the day this happens because you, didn't be- because you did not believe my words. I think it's time that the church believes what God says. If God said it, I believe it. Come on, somebody give a little amen this morning. If God said it, I believe it. And so my challenge this morning, what have you stopped praying for that you need to start praying for again? And what are you praying for that you don't really believe is going to change? I think we need to get back to believing God and trusting God and standing on his word. Now you'll be silent and able to speak till the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come, which will come true at their appointed time. Look at verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah. And wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. We know why. Because an angel showed up. And there's conversation going on. They didn't know that. Look at verse 22. When he comes out, it says he couldn't speak to them. So my question is, what was he going to say? Now, I studied this. A priest, when he walked out, would recite the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. You remember that? Numbers chapter 6. And so he takes a long time. He comes out. And he's supposed to give the priestly blessing, and nothing's coming out of his mouth. You know, he's just doing hand gestures. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them. But he remained unable to speak. I think God was saying, I'm going to close your mouth. You're not going to be able to speak until you sort out what you really need to say. And so I want, I want those thoughts to sink in your spirit. Let's go to number three. Number three, you've got to learn to trust God's timing. Now, I'm going to build on this. And I want to say to you that God always answers prayers, but not always the way we want him to answer our prayer. Isn't that true? Sometimes his answer is yes, you ask, you receive. Sometimes the answer is no. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad that there's some prayers I prayed that God didn't answer it the way I asked it, because I wasn't asking according to his will, and I'm willing to admit that. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait, delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. Sometimes God wants to work on us, he wants us to grow, and he wants to do an inner work in our life. There's things that don't happen when we pray, his ways are higher than our ways. So you got to learn to trust Heavenly Daddy. Hear me today, church. You will remain an immature Christian if you don't learn the principle of learning to trust Heavenly Daddy. God is in charge. He makes no mistakes. He is for you. He's not against you. He will lead. He will guide. He's in charge. And even when it doesn't make sense, he's still in charge. Is there a little witness in the house this morning? Come on. He is still in charge. He, it's, you just don't wiggle your nose and God does what you ask. It's not a genie in a bottle, church. God is God, and his ways are higher than our ways, but we've got to learn to trust this time. Let me show you something real quickly. I'm amazed at how Dr. Luke, when he wrote in Luke 1, talked about timing. So let me give it to you quickly. Let's look at verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judah, 
Judea. There it is, in the time. He's, he's all about timing. Now look at verse, verse 10. And when the time for the burning of incense came, because Luke is building a theme on God's time. And look at verse 20. And now you will be silent, not able to speak till the day of this happened, because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. God is never early. God is never late. God has an appointed time. Doesn't the Bible say? When the fullness of time came, he sent forth his son. How many people want to truly, fully believe that God's timing is always perfect? I, I, want, I want to trust the timing of God Almighty. Come on. How many people want to trust the timing of God Almighty? Waiting upon the Lord can renew your strength. Do not wait on the answer to your prayer. Wait on the Lord, not on the answer. Are you getting that this morning? Often we wait on the answer, but the Bible says wait on the Lord. Trust his timing. Trust his timing. Look at verse number 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. So he finishes his deal, and he goes back to where he lives, and Luke is building on the theme of time. And look at verse 39 and 40 of Luke 1. At that time, Mary got ready, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And then verse 57 of Luke 1, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Please get it in your spirit. God is never early and he's never late. God is always on time. May God help us to trust the perfect time of God. So here's the practice. Don't get ahead of God. You'll mess up. Don't get behind God. Let's learn to walk in step and in sync with his spirit. Somebody give a little amen. So last Sunday, I'm up here casting vision. And I tell you, there's so much that I wanted to tell you. But I felt the Lord just locking my mouth on a few things. There's dreams that God has put in my spirit for the days ahead. And as I'm preaching last Sunday, the Lord said, not yet. <laughs> it's in your heart, Mark, but you don't have to share all that's in your heart. I tell you, I talked about that police station. There are dreams in my spirit, what I believe God wants us to do in the days, and you all want me to tell you right now, and God has said to me last Sunday, not yet. Hold the dream in your heart. Here's what the Lord said to me as I was preaching last Sunday. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I get a revelation for me. You see, Joseph, remember the coat of many colors? Remember, God gave him a dream. God gave him about his future. I think the mistake he made is he revealed the dream too soon and too fast. I really believe that. Sometimes we got to learn to hide the dream and not reveal it till the perfect timing of God Almighty. You okay with that, church? So we got to learn to, come on, give a little clap offering of praise to the Lord. This is about Jesus today, amen? Let me take you to number four. Look for ways to encourage others. Now, I'll tell you, church, Whatever you're walking through, sometimes you can get so absorbed in it, you forget that God wants to use you in your dilemma. God wants to use you in your disappointment. God wants to speak through you and use you in your pain to come alongside and help other people. Sometimes we get so self-absorbed. It's about me, my need. But God says, look for ways to encourage others. Let me show you a few verses. Verse 36. Verse 36, Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth even, so this is, now I've got to give you the context. And the angel shows up to Mary and tells Mary that she's going to conceive. Now, we've jumped ahead. She's just this 12, 
13, 14. I know my, my wife, when I say that, she goes, Mark, you're, you're messing with my mind. She was that young when she gave birth to Jesus. And honey, it's culture. Nobody in this place wants your 12-year-old or your 13-year-old or your 14-year-old to get married today. I'm a parent. But back in those days, that's the way it worked. She's probably 12, 13, 14. She's a peasant girl. And, she, and the angel showed up and said, you're going to conceive, you know? Well, so Elizabeth, her cousin, Elizabeth and Mary are related. Elizabeth, so the angel goes to Mary and says to Mary, this is what I want you to hear, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. i, I got to push pause. She who is said to be unable to conceive. Who said it? Who said that she couldn't conceive? Nature said she couldn't conceive. Doctors said she couldn't conceive. Her biological clock said she couldn't conceive. And I want to ask you the question, whose word are you going to listen to today? We need to be reminded that who gets the final word is not earth, but heaven. God gets the final word. She who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. Then it says, this is the New International Version, no word from God will ever fail. In the King James Version, it says, for nothing is impossible with God. But if you scrape that down to the original Greek, it's not for nothing is impossible with God. It's for no word from God will ever fail. If God said it, it's going to happen. Hallelujah. It's going to happen. Hallelujah. You might be 65. You might, you might biologically not. You, I tell you, church, God always gets the final word. Amen. I want to tell you another Christmas miracle that happened a week ago Thursday. And you all know that Evelyn walked the journey, breast cancer, second time around, went through surgery, mastectomy, and had to go through chemotherapy again. And chemo's changed from many years ago. And they put her on this medication called tamoxifen. And that might be a foreign medication to you, but it messes with your mind. It can create anxiety. It can create just weird stuff in your head. And I'll tell you, I could tell you what we've walked through, what she's walked through, what we've walked through together, anxiety. And it's, it's you know, she, no fun. We could go Thursday. We're at the general hospital with the oncologist. You got to know my wife. Her method of showing love is gifts. And she's got gifts for the oncologist. And she had bought him a box of chocolates. And we had to go get a gift card from a coffee shop. I said, babe, if he doesn't give you the word that you want, are you going to hold back the gift card? <laughs> we get in. In that appointment, she saw the, the pre-doctor and the nurse. He walks in. He puts He said, you're done with tamoxifen. Go and have a good Christmas. Come on. Come on. Isn't that good? We walked out just, just crying for joy. She's been waiting to get off this. But you, but you need to hear me, church. We've learned that God wants us in our challenges to find ways to encourage other people. And God wants this house to come alongside and encourage one another in their journey. So put it back on the screen, 36, 37. The angel got this. So the angel, when the angel Gabriel goes to Mary, refers to Elizabeth. Your relative is going to have a child in her old age. She was not able to conceive in her sixth month. For no word from God 
will ever fail. Let's jump down to verse 39 and verse 40 very quickly. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. When she entered Zechariah's home, so there he goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. She gets to their home. She's greeted by Elizabeth. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, which is John, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to see this. Baby leaps. Holy Spirit comes in her. And now the Spirit in her prompts the words that she's about to say. Now, don't miss this. Holy Spirit wants to guide your speech. Holy Spirit wants to guide the words that you say. The Spirit is speaking. Are you listening? So don't miss it. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then right after 41 comes verse 42. In a loud voice. Why was it loud? Because the Spirit was speaking. There's a boldness in her. There's a, every time the Spirit moves, there's a boldness. Come on. You getting that this morning? When the Spirit moves, there's a boldness. And she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. She's not saying that from her own mind. She's saying that led by the Spirit. So church, if we want to be a church of encouragement, we got to be a church that is led by the Spirit. I don't want my words to be my words. I want God's words to speak through me because there's more encouragement from God than there is from me. Does that resonate in your spirit this morning? we got to learn to listen, and we need to learn to find ways to encourage one. Let's go to number five. Number five. Enjoy the blessing of believing. There's something powerful about believing. There's something powerful about believing God for great things. Let me show you verse 43 down to verse 45. Verse 43, I want you to see what Elizabeth said to Mary. Why am I so favored? Now, don't miss this. That the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, don't miss it. Jesus had not yet been born. I mean, God in heaven now conceived, this is hard to understand, conceived in the womb by the Spirit of God in Mary. Remember, Holy Spirit overshadowed. She conceives. And Elizabeth speaks a powerful word of, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come? She believes in Jesus even before she had seen him. Don't, don't miss that. She speaks a powerful word of believing. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty moved by this, that here is Elizabeth. She's the one who's walking more in faith than husband Zechariah. Zechariah has the angel show up, and Zechariah says, how can I know that this is true? And now for nine months, come on, ladies, wouldn't it be cool? Your husband can't say a word for nine months. Nine months. The dude is quiet. The dude is quiet because what he said wasn't godlike. Give me a sign. How can I know? I meet people all the time. I just wish God would give me a sign. I've got a theory on signs. If God's going to give you a sign, you're not living and walking and trusting in the Spirit the way you should. You should just trust Him no matter what. 
We don't need God to put a banner in the sky. God, I will trust you at all times. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to trust you. If you said it, I believe it. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms of my God. Come on, give a clap offering to the Lord. Why am I so favored that the mother of not just Lord, don't miss it, my Lord. I'm asking you this morning, is he your Lord? Not just some, is he my, my Lord. She's believing even before she sees him. I love that. There's more there. Look at verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Some of you moms know what it's like to have a baby leap in your womb. I don't leap. Wow, leap. That's pretty well. I was at the seniors banquet last night, Evelyn and I, 50 plus banquet. And they, they did the 12 days of Christmas. And one table had to do the, what's the leaping, what were they called? Somebody shouted, I forget. No, no, Lord's are leaping. And so this cool guy in our church that's older than me got up and he just, he just started leaping. <laughs> Picture John leaping. As soon as the sound of green reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed, verse 45, is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Can we be a church that believes and trusts at all times? So I just want to put that in your spirit today. Let me take you to number six. We're almost done. Speak up when the time is right. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. Speak up. Speak up when the time is right. Now I want to show you something that I saw in our text. Take you to verse 24. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. So she conceives. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. You ever wondered why did she go in seclusion for five months? Why? I don't know. There's probably a lot of reasons. And I, it's maybe reasons you can come up with. But let's just go. Let's go forward here. After this, his wife became pregnant for five months, remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And in these days, he has shown his favor and he's taken away my disgrace among the people. Here's, I think because those words are there, I think she went in seclusion to let the word of God soak in her spirit. I think she went quiet and secluded to let God continue the inner work in her life. And she didn't feel she needed to go out and say, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have this baby. God did a miracle. She she, she remained quiet as God was preparing her and God was working on her. Let's come down to 59 and 60. The baby's now born. On the eighth day, in that culture, on the eighth day, they would name the child and they would have the child circumcised on the eighth day. That's just the way it went in that culture. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they're going to name him after his father, Zechariah. Like, you got to get this. You have a baby in that day, and it's a boy. Culture says, name him after daddy. That's always the way it's done. So if I lived back in those days, our John wouldn't be John. He'd be called Mark. That's just the way it went. Everybody, everybody knew that they should name him after Zechariah. They, they're going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But, but his mother spoke up. She'd been quiet for five months. 
And the first record after the quietness of what she spoke is the word that God had given when she conceived. His name shall be called John. God spoke that to Zechariah. And she said, no, he's to be called John. So you can imagine everybody now is, is looking, at, looking at Zechariah like, come on, man, what's going on here? Like mom says, no, his name should be called John. Look at verse 61. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who have that name. I mean, come on, you got nobody, nobody with that name, John. Then they made signs to his father. So he can't speak. And the fact that they're making signs to him tells me he can't hear. He's, he's deaf for these nine months. He can't hear and he can't speak. And they're doing sign language to him. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Now, no, don't, don't miss it. For nine months, the dude is quiet. And the last words he said before he's quiet is, how can I know this is true? Now, if you had nine months to think through what you said, I'm pretty not convinced that the first thing you're going to say is, how can I know this is not true? They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name his child. So he asked for a writing tablet. He could write. And to every, this is verse 63. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. He declared the promise, and his voice came back. Don't miss it. He declared the promise, and his voice came back. Immediately, his mouth was open, and his tongue was set free. And what's the first thing he did? He began to give praise to God Almighty. I'll tell you, church, when you give him praise, when you give him praise, something is released on earth from the heavenlies. Come on, it's powerful. Verse 65, all the neighbors were filled with awe and showed the hill country of Judea, people... We're talking about all these things, verse 66. Everyone who heard this wonder about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. I want to tie this message together and say to you, let me go back. The names Zachariah and Elizabeth are, are pregnant with meaning by the supernatural God who ordered those names to bring forth this story. One name means the Lord remembers. The other name means our God is faithful. And the story concludes with the Lord's hand was with them. And I feel the spirit of the living God speaking to me to say to you today, the hand of God is on you. And the hand of God is with you today. The hand of God is on you. And the hand of God is with you. And you might be in the season of delay, but delay is not denial. I think we need to get back to the word of the living God and trust his word and stand on his word and believe in his word and believe for our Christmas miracle in Jesus' name. Somebody put their hands together and give a clap offering of praise to our God. Every head is bowed. Everyone's eyes are closed. 
And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, even before we, we sing a song of worship to the Lord and worship team, please come. I want to ask you a question as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Actually, two questions. And the first question is this. If today was the day that you died and you stepped into eternity, are you positive beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven? And even as I present that question, I want to remind everyone who's in the auditorium and everyone that is watching on live streaming that you will live for eternity. And when you breathe your last breath on earth, the question is, do you know that you will spend your eternity in heaven? I believe that there's people hearing my voice right now that you can't answer that question with a definite yes. You don't know where you will spend eternity. The greatest Christmas miracle is God left heaven and came to earth. He sent His Son, and Jesus came to this world for you and me. And He died on a cross, taking upon Himself our sins. And they put Him in a grave. And on the third day, He rose to life. He's alive today. And Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. The way to an eternity in heaven is through a personal relationship with God. God through Jesus Christ. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life? Have you ever asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you ever invited Jesus to be the center of your life? Going to church doesn't get you to heaven. It's great to go to church. You need to go to church. Giving in the offering doesn't get you to heaven. It's great to give in the offering. We need to be givers. We need to be generous. Reading your Bible doesn't get you to heaven, but you need to read your Bible. The way to heaven is asking God, Jesus, to come into your life and be the center of your life. You're sitting here today, you've never done that. Or maybe you did a long time ago, and you're like, Mark, I'm so far from God, I need to settle today. I need to make sure my eternity is intact, that my heart is ready. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And after I count to three, if you would like to be led in this prayer to ask Christ to be the center of your life, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And by lifting your hand, you're letting me know, Pastor, I, I want Jesus in my life. I want to be ready for heaven. I want to be led in this prayer. Do you know that you know that you're ready for heaven? And if you can't answer that question with a definite yes, I invite you to respond. And so I'm going to count to three. And if you'd like to be included in this prayer, I want you to lift your hand. And by lifting your hand, you're letting me know, I want to be led in a prayer to ask Jesus to be the center of my life. So here we go. One, two, three. That's you. Just lift your hand as high as you can. And once you've done that, you can put your hand down. Yeah. Thank you for those that lifted their hands. Anyone else? you lifted your hand, I want to lead you in this prayer, and we're going to join you as you pray. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I ask you into my life. I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. I have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. I make my peace with you today. I make my peace with you. I receive you in my life. I receive you in my life. I declare you today. I declare you today as my Savior. As my Savior. And my Lord. I pray this now, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, open your eyes, put your hands together and celebrate. Come on, come on, let's celebrate. Come on, let's celebrate salvations. If you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you made the best decision of your life. At the end of the service, if you 
I want you to drop by the wall in the lobby. It says follow. We got a Bible for you. It's free, a little booklet for you. It's free. We have a follow gathering that meets on Wednesday nights. We want to help you in your new faith journey. They can tell you more about it. If you don't attend a Bible-believing, life-giving church, how many people would be pumped and honored if they joined us in the journey? I would be pumped and honored. I want you to get on your feet. This is number two, and I I just feel so intentional with this. I, I feel the Lord saying to me this week, and I feel very strong right now, that there's a lot of people standing right now in our second morning service. You are praying and believing for a Christmas miracle. God, I I need you to do this. It might be physical, relational, financial, personal. I don't know what it is, but nothing is impossible with God. Come on, do you believe that today? Nothing is impossible with God. What is it you've stopped praying for that you need to start praying for again? What is it you are praying for that you don't really believe God can do it? I tell you, church, nothing is impossible with God. Evelyn and I were reminiscing. You know, as you get older, you do a lot of that, don't you? And we're thinking back to our first church, and there was this this elderly man and couple, Jacob and Doris. And they came from Europe, and they're in our church. And the man started to share some fascinating stuff. This is no lie. First of all, let me tell you this. He put eight spoonfuls of sugar in his coffee. That's not wise to do. And he'd eat a whole tub of ice cream in one shot. Another not wise thing to do. But, but God still did great things. So he's driving around Sarnia, Ontario, and a train hits his car. And he lives, but he's in the hospital. And his literally... The, the whole bone in there is gone. It's disintegrated and gone from the accident. And so the doctors created something artificial in there. They wired them all together, and he's still missing. It's gone. Pastor Brad's artificial, and he's wired together. People laid their hands on him and prayed for him. And I'll tell you what God did. God gave him a brand new shoulder bone. A brand... <laughs> so he'd come to church, and he'd go, Look! He's ready to take off, and he still had coffee with eight sugars. I know it makes no sense. Nothing is impossible with God. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to declare that right now. Nothing is impossible with God. Can we do that? You know, we're not going to say, how can I know this is true? I don't I don't want to, I don't want to have my lips sealed for nine months. Can we say nothing is impossible with God? Come on, one, two, three. Nothing is impossible with God. Come on, let's say it again. Nothing is impossible with God. Come on. Now say it as loud as you can. One, two, three. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. 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 But you don't, you're not the exception clause. There's no exception clause in the kingdom of God. Nothing is impossible with God. God can do a Christmas miracle in this place today. Pastor Brad, I want you to start leading in prayer. And I, I just want to open this altar. And if you, you need a miracle. Now, now, here's the deal. Sometimes, well, mine's not a big, come on, man, I'm not blind. But the doc says, I don't have to worry about glaucoma. And he says, my eyes are getting better. That's a small miracle. But to me, that's a big miracle. 
I don't know. It's not big. It's not small. It's your need, and God cares about your need. Nothing is impossible with God. How many people want to receive a miracle today? Amen. Nothing is impossible with God. So, church, it's 1020. Don't AWOL. We're normally here till 1030. And I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to press in and praise. We need to press in. There's going to be a lot of people coming to the front in need of a miracle. And I want us to be here to support them and believe for their miracle. Come on, come on, church. Your brunch can wait for 10 more minutes. Uh, God is in the house this morning, amen. God is in the house this morning. You need a miracle up in the balcony, leave, come forward. Right here. Now, now, some of you, you're like, Mark, is it okay if I come forward because the miracle is for my son or my daughter or my mom, dad, brothers? You come on down. Let's open our hearts. Let's believe that that nothing is impossible with God would happen in this house. Come on, you need a miracle? Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. When you come to the front, just lift your hands and just let the praise, let the praise begin to flow. Let the praise begin to flow. Nothing, 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 nothing is impossible with God. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our voice and sing to the Lord. Holy, there is no like you. There is none. Open up my eyes in wonder Show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love To those around me And holy, there is no one like you There is none beside
this morning from front to back side to side just extend your hands to the heavens Father God I pray for every man every woman standing at this front that at whatever mountain that's before them we pray that that mountain would come down and dissolve in the name of Jesus we pray we pray healing in every sick body We pray finances in every empty bank account in the name of Jesus. We pray job that's not there would come to pass in the name of Jesus. We pray every work-related problem would be resolved in the name of Jesus. We pray for our sons and daughters that the miracle would happen. We pray for our moms. We pray for our dads. We pray for our marriage. We pray whatever the need is, God, that you would step in. And you, oh God, would release Christmas miracles in this place. Now, Father, before we go, we're just going to pause and give you praise. Come on, Woodbell, just lift your voice and give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. So, God, I pray that the truths that we have looked at from Luke chapter 1 would help us and encourage us to move forward in our faith walk. We look forward to this this sermon series, God. Give us a great month. We pray Christmas Eve that this place will be filled, two, four, six o'clock. We pray for hundreds of salvations. Hallelujah. We pray, God, that you would just give everyone in this place an amazing week. And let it be a God week. And we love you and we praise you. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Nobody whispered. Everybody shouted. Come on, everybody shout it. Amen.